Thanksgiving? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? You all eat good? Yeah. Okay, I, I, I can tell some of you ate really good, and, uh, you know, me included. Um, but uh, I, I love this time of the year. And for some of us, it can be a dreadful time of the year for many reasons. But uh, I think, as, as you heard Martin touch on it this afternoon earlier, I think the first song, after the first song, some of us can be reminded of loved ones that have passed on, especially when there's an anniversary surrounding that time. For my mother-in-law, it was yesterday that she actually passed away um, 13 years ago. 13 years ago. It just goes by so fast. And for some of you here today, you may be in that same situation, remembering loved ones. Some of you may have issues with family members as they get together and I've spoken on this before and, and you dread the holiday season because you're going to see that person or that man or that woman and you have to put up with that person for a day, two days, maybe even a week sometimes until they're out of your life again, right? And every, every season, every holiday season it seems to be that way. Let me tell you this, doctors tell us that we're at an all-time high for depression. Did you know that? We're at an all-time high, especially the millennial generation. Those, are, those born uh, before 1996, 1995 actually, and I forget what the cutoff time is. And then Generation Z, which is the generation right after that, which would be Raquel's generation, the 20-year-olds, the 21-year-olds, the 22-year-olds. They're at an all-time high for depression. Yeah. And, and we got to wonder, sometimes I wonder, how can this generation that has everything you could possibly think of, I mean, life is so easy, right? This, this generation, and I don't mean to pick on my two kids, but this generation, they were given ribbons just for participating in sports, right? They, it was so easy. Back in my day, you had to earn a trophy. You had to win first place to win a trophy or a ribbon. Nowadays, you just participate. Here you go, Johnny. Here you go, Susie. You get a ribbon. And we, we, we do this in our generation, and we spoil these kids, and we think, well, that'll set them up. But I think what's happened is we've set them up for failure, unfortunately. Uh -oh. Not necessarily you and I, but our generation has set them up for failure. And... This is one of the terrible things that during this holiday season, depression rears its ugly head. Yeah. It comes out even more. Anxious, anxious thoughts come out even more. Some of you, don't raise your hand, dread Christmas for whatever reason. Some of you might, may have dreaded Thanksgiving and are just so thankful it's over because that family member's gone. Or maybe they didn't show up because the weather was too bad. Because I-5 was shut down. And we all heard about I-5 being shut down. And you're praying, please, Lord, keep it closed, keep it closed. Because you don't want them coming. Well, it leads to a terrible time during the holiday season. And I want to talk to you this afternoon on how we each need to have the Lord guard our hearts and our minds. Yeah. Guard our hearts and our minds. Everybody say, Lord, guard my heart. And guard my mind. We can take care of our minds and our hearts by being mindful of the season that we're in. 
If I can just have you stand, we're going to read, uh, stand one more time with me. We're going to read First Thessalonians, which is our sermon text. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And it goes like this. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Now we pray that you bless it to our understanding. Lord, that you grant us deeper understanding of your word, that we would learn how to guard our hearts, our souls, our minds from this generation that would want to destroy us. And we pray that in Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. You may be seated. Amen. God bless you. So, we know that this is a, a terrible time. For many of us, it, it, it gets to the point, especially with Christmas, when you start comparing and you start wishing for things that are you're incapable of doing. And we start looking what the neighbor has or what so-and-so has or what the president of a company has or all these things you start falling into comparison traps. You start just becoming even depressed at just the thought of what you can't have. Let's not get caught up in that materialism. Amen? We are a very materialistic society, and I didn't even look on social media, but there were probably a hundred new videos from Black Friday of people killing themselves to get that new TV for 150 bucks that normally sells for a thousand, right? Did some of you see stuff like that on, on, online? Every year, it never ceases to amaze me how materialistic and how angry people get in parking lots, in the store, rushing in there, fighting over a TV. Awful. It's terrible, exactly. But we have to be careful with that, otherwise that's you and I. We're doing the same thing. Let me just remind you here, this scripture, when it uses the word preserve, preserve means to guard, to protect, to keep an eye upon. And then blameless, it said preserve blameless. The Lord wants us to be preserved blameless. Blameless means to be faultless, irre irreproachable. He means to have you without fault, the Bible says. That's what he expects out of you and I. But with this materialistic society, and I'm talking here about depression, anxiety, and all these things that go on in your mind, and all the materialism that goes on, it can wear you down. It can tell, well, so-and-so got that for their yard. I need that in my yard. And it just goes on and on and on. It never ends. Do you know that? It never, ever ends. James chapter 1 and verse 21 says the following, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You see, what God is describing there is that he's still in the restoration business. He's, he's wanting to restore us. Remember, I talked about that here recently in November. God, when he restores, he doesn't restore you to something that you were before. Because that's what we think of when we hear the word restore. When we restore a car, we restore it to what it used to look like. God wants to restore you to what he always had in mind for you and I. Amen? He wants to restore you to what he had planned for you all along. Amen? 
God is in the restoration business. He can also bring vitality, life to the hurting and the depressed soul today. Listen to the word of David here. How many remember King David in the Old Testament? There's a, there's a, there's a part of the scripture in the Old Testament where they're praising Saul. And then he says, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands, the Bible says. He was that much more greater than Saul. And so here's this man. He was a king. He was, he was a battle. He was a warrior, a mighty man of valor, the Bible describes him. And yet, he was discouraged. He was depressed. You go, where does it say that, Pastor Rick? Well, let's read Psalms chapter 42 and verse 5. He penned this. King David said this, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? See, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. You could be from the wrong side of the tracks, or you could be born on the right side of the tracks, whatever that means. You can be a low-income person, or you can be an all-time you know, earner like Warren Buffett. It doesn't matter. You can still be depressed. You can still walk in anxiousness and depression. King David here, who had everything given to him as king, I could just picture him sitting back in his royal throne as they're fanning him with feathers, giving him grapes in his mouth, Thompson seedless grapes, right there in his mouth. He had everything, right? And here he is, depressed, depressed. See, here's what I've learned and what I want to share with you. An uncontrolled mind can lead to toxins in here and in here. You recall the story of when David fell? When his mind was uncontrolled, when he was just one day, he was didn't have nothing to do. His men were out to battle at where he should have been, but here he was in his house, and then all of a sudden he goes, Ooh, who's that? And the story, if you know it, points out that there was a young woman named Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop of her home, the Bible says. And now, he could have seen that and just walked away, but instead he entertained it and continued to, hmm. Now, once he did that, that's when it became a sin, when he continued in that. And here this man, what was going on in his mind was it was an uncontrolled thought process. There was no structure going on in his mind at that time which allowed the devil to step in and do his damage. How many know what I'm talking about? That when your mind is, is just there and not focused, when your mind is not thinking, when your mind is not reading the Word of God and filled with the things of God, the devil can just jump right in there. What is the thing? The, the idle mind is, a, is the devil's workshop. That's just a saying. It's not Bible. That's just a saying. But that's so true. See, these toxins can fill our, our minds and our hearts and bring us down. Let me read to you these statistics here because I love statistics, all right? So bear with me. Over 40 million adults in America suffer from depression. So you're not alone. Let me repeat that again. 40 million. That's bigger than American Canyon and Napa Valley and most of California right there. 
And over $42 billion a year is spent on trying to fix depression. That means pills. That means counseling. That means the majority pharmaceuticals right there is what's going on there. The average person, listen to this as well, the average person has over 30,000 thoughts a day. Ooh. I don't know if I have that many when I go into my nothing box, because I've talked to you about how men have a nothing box. We, you, women know what this is about when you go to your man and say, what are you thinking about? And we say, nothing. Because we have a nothing box. Men have a nothing box. Women, you, you can't even fathom that. What do you mean a nothing box? But that's beside the point. The average person has over 30,000 thoughts a day. Through an uncontrolled thought life, we create the condition for illness. We make ourselves sick. Oftentimes with an uncontrolled thought life. When it isn't structured, when it isn't trained. Have you ever seen those horses that have these blinders on their eyes? You know why they put them there? To keep them focused straight ahead so they're not sight or distracted. Our minds get so distracted at times because of what we see. Oh, it's like the dog. We're playing squirrel. This way, right? That describes our dog. Max. He could be so focused. And if he sees a squirrel, he's gone. And we do the same when we're not structured with our thinking. Let me continue here. Research shows that fear, all on its own, triggers more than 1,400 known physical and chemical responses and activates more than 30 different hormones. That's unbelievable. How Now, fear can be a good thing as well as a bad thing. Fear can be a good thing in a, in a bad situation. Uh, I, I believe that God gives that to us so that we're aware. Our, our spidey sense goes off and we're aware of things beyond what we normally are aware of when we're in fear. But it can also become a very dominating thing in your life, and it can control you. In fact, we know people that can't come out of their homes because of a fear, a phobia. We know people that can't drive out of their driveway because of a fear. We know people that can't, would never dream of getting up here and speaking in front of people because of a fear. The Bible says to take every thought captive. Every thought. I was asked recently, well, don't you ever think like crazy thoughts sometimes? Like, you know, you're driving down the road and, you know, like, ooh, boy, boom, you know, or whatever. I think all of us can think crazy thoughts. Crazy thoughts will just jump into our minds at times. Now, the difference is, what do you do with that thought? Do you begin to dwell on that thought? And then does it become a reality? That's when that thought becomes a sin. But I think we all as human beings, as normal human beings, can actually have a, a crazy thought come into our mind. Because the battlefield is right here. The battlefield is right here in your mind. There's a book written by Joyce Meyer. Go check it out. She'll tell you all about it. We have to learn to take every thought captive. How many, how many know uh, people that are lazy, that don't work for a living? I'm talking about adults that don't work. Do you know that they struggle the most right here? You know why that is? Because there's, there's nothing structured here going on. They have not learned how to take their thoughts captive. 
And because of that, they're constantly falling into sin or their life is falling apart because they have not learned how to take their thoughts captive as the Lord wants us to. Here's the other thing that we, we learn, especially as young people. So if you're young here, under the age of 99, listen to this. Yeah. We're a society that is driven by sight. Everybody said amen. amen. We, see, we see things all around us every day that can, that can depress us. We pull up to our house. We say, man, that neighbor has a beautiful yard. And man, their grass is so green and I love their brick and the brickwork and the ironwork and they just got a new roof and I mean, that, it's a three-story house and I only have a two-story and I'm driving a five-year-old car and they always got brand new cars. I mean, it's simple things like that that we think of that are so ridiculous that can bring us down because we're driven by sight. Our young people struggle with this more than any other generation before. You see, in my mom and dad's generation, and I'm so glad they're here today, give them a hand. Yes. In your mom's and dad's generation, if you're my age or older, even in my generation, we didn't have iPhones. We didn't have internet. We didn't have social media where so-and-so could compare his his life and post his beautiful pictures of what he did that day or that weekend. And then, do you realize that they're only posting the best pictures they want you to see? Yeah. Do you not realize that they're not posting what reality was? They're only posting a, a hallmark snapshot of what they want you to see. And it's fake. Everybody say fake. fake. It's all fake. There's this thing called fake news. That's fake news right there. Let me tell you. With social media, the comparison trap is real. There are so many young people that are committing suicide because of what they read on the internet. It's so sad. We've all heard of these stories. People being bullied on text messaging. People being bullied because of what they see, because they broke up with a girl and now she's going out with this guy. I mean, crazy stuff like that. It exists. It's real. It's a reality. We have to protect our mind. And you know what? Sometimes you may have to just disconnect and unplug and get away from that stuff for your own sanity. Can I get an amen? amen. Sometimes God may be telling you, hey, it's time to just check out of this. And uh, give it a break. And, and get real now. Have some one-on-one -on -one conversations with people instead of doing this. Instead of doing this. I love what my brother Gregory does at his house. If you go to his house on a celebration or birthday or whatever, he'll have a, a bowl there. And you put all your cell phones in there when you walk in the door. Right, brother? He, he, I did that at my house um, and a few times. But... The reason he does that is so that we can have face-to-face -face communication. What's going on at the dinner table nowadays? And there's six, seven, ten people, and they're all like this, right? That's so sad. That's so sad. Now, we all have them. Just don't abuse them. Amen? Not a beautiful picture. <laughs> Anyways. So let me, let's, let's go here. 
Why do our minds struggle? Look at your neighbor and tell them, why does my mind struggle? Well, let me give you quick, real, real quickly, four quick points, and then we're going to be done here this afternoon. Um, first of all, how many watch Dateline, NBC? Oh, right, we got some Dateline fans here. Dateline is a program. It's a crime program on NBC, and I love it when I can watch it. There was this one story of this woman, and she married a, a man, and uh, he died. Mysterious death. They couldn't figure out why. He just he died. She moved to another state, married husband number two, and lo and behold, the same thing happened. He died. In the meantime, she's collecting a nice, you know, insurance settlement, and she moved to a third state, married another man, and he died. And they finally caught her. She was poisoning the husbands with antifreeze. Maybe you've seen that one. Antifreeze, little bits at a time. And eventually it ruined the liver of those husbands and caused them to die. Let me tell you right now, unforgiveness, point number one, is the same way that that works. It's you drink it a little bit at a time and it's a poison. But yet for some reason, we choose to drink unforgiveness. But none of us would drink antifreeze. Of course not. That's a poison. That's bad for you. Number one, unforgiveness is a poison to you. Amen. It'll cause you to become depressed, anxious, angry, so, so many other things. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, listen to these words. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, right here with unforgiveness, the Bible's telling us that it's, an, it's, an, it's a bitter root, a root that grows up. Weeds grow up in your, in your vegetable patch, in your vegetable, in your garden. You got to take them out by the root. Bitterness will grow up like a root, but listen to this, it defiles not just you, it defiles many, many, plural. Have you, have you ever seen somebody that uh, has been offended and when they speak, you can tell that they're offended? Of course, we've all seen that. Unforgiveness usually causes us to think and do evil and ungodly things against those that have offended or hurt us. Yesterday, we went to go see a movie and while I'm sitting there uh, with my family, a gentleman came and sat down right next to me. And so I was born with this nose here that picks up scents from all the way down in Napa, okay? And the minute the man sat down next to me, all I could smell was garlic. He reeked of garlic. You know when you eat garlic, it, it goes through your pores, right? It doesn't just come out of here. It goes through your pores in your body. This man, all I could smell the whole Two hours and ten minutes of that movie was garlic. And I was dying. I couldn't wait to get, I mean, the movie was great, but he reeked of it. In the same way, we can reek of unforgiveness when we're around people. And people notice it, and they go, oh man, that's too bad that you reek of unforgiveness. Amen? Amen. Everything that person talks about and deals with the hurt and unforgiveness of that situation can come out. 
That person lives trapped with the poison of unforgiveness consuming them. And that's a bad place to be. It's just like drinking antifreeze. The second point here is comparison, which I touched on. People are often comparing themselves to one another. Where if, you're, if you're single, well, how come I haven't met a guy? How come I haven't met the right man, the right girl? And I, I should have by now. I should have, I should have had a family. I should have been married. How come they have it, Lord? Or if you're married, well, how come my marriage isn't like theirs? How come they're always seemingly blessed? And on and on and on. The house, the cars, the kids. How come my kids aren't like theirs? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It's a comparison trap that the enemy wants to fill your heart and mind with. The grass, is it really greener on the other side? No. No, it isn't. They might just be fertilizing it more than you. That's all. Listen to what Mark Twain said. Mark Twain said the following. Comparison is the death of joy. Comparison is the death of joy. You want to find out how to get rid of your joy real quick? Start comparing yourself to everybody else. Well, Lord, I thought by now I'd have this or that. That's the fastest way to kill your joy right there. Be content in who you are. The problem is there isn't another Brenda in this world. There's not another Nigel. There's not another Raquel. There's not another Martin. God created you specifically to live your life uniquely as you are. Amen? He didn't didn't create you so that your life could look exactly like your neighbors or like your sisters or brothers. It's different. Every one of us are uniquely and wonderfully made, the Bible says. Social media comparison is the worst. If you're a young person here, it might be just good to just disconnect that. I know my kids have at different times. They'll completely disconnect from the, other than their homework. They, they'll turn off their Snapchat, Instagram, their Facebook, and all that. I don't tell them. They do it because they just know, hey, it's time for me to shut it down. Because I need a break from this. How many know that's a wise thing? Even at their age, that's a very wise thing to do. Because we get caught up tonight when you get home. Everybody's going to be finished with their weekend. And if you have Facebook, everybody will be posting what they did all since Thursday. Thursday Thanksgiving feast and in front of the fire and going to Tahoe and the wonderful snow and all the snowmen. And here you're thinking, I was just stuck home. I didn't have no money to go nowhere. And you got to be careful because you're comparing yourself to other people. You are not them. And they are not you. Amen? Amen. So quit comparing yourself to anybody else. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Listen to these words. Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant, the Bible says. How ignorant, the Bible says, when we compare ourselves to one another. It should be that Lord Jesus is my example. I want to be like him. If you're going to compare yourself, strive to be like him. Why strive to be like somebody down here? Strive to be the best, amen? Amen. 
It's never good to compare yourself with someone else. Let's say that together. It's never good to compare yourself with someone else. I'll never forget. See this hair right here? Every hair in place. I got to bring it up, Gregory. I got to bring it up. So we're at a hotel men's meeting. Gregory comes knocking on my door. It's like 6 o'clock in the morning. I don't know, 5.30 in the morning. I want to say 5.30 because it was early. And he comes knocking on the door. And I think it's Wayne or just, I forget who was rooming with me at that time. It was Wayne. And I answered the door. I'm sound asleep. And here's this guy pounding. And I can hear him talking. You know, Gregory's talking. And he's like, Pastor Rick, it's, it's Gregory. And uh, I open the door. And all of a sudden, he just stands back. And I go, what's wrong? He goes, your hair, Pastor. I've never seen you with your hair like that. Because it was all standing straight up like this. I look like a troll doll, right? I go, well, Gregory, this, this takes work. I don't wake up like that. He was comparing me to what he saw every day that he would see me. But that was the real me at that moment. That was the real me. Don't let Facebook or some picture you see make you think that that's the way it is. It's not. That was reality, right, Gregory? That was reality. And that's the way it is every morning when I, I wake up, brother. Let me tell you. Number three, the third point is anger. Anger is a toxin to your brain. Say that with me. Anger is a toxin to your brain. Listen to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Amen. We don't have because we don't ask, the Bible says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Let me remind you again, nobody, none of you here today, want to come home to an angry person or go visit an angry person during the holiday season. We have to be reminded to take every thought captive. Lord, forgive me. Don't let any root of bitterness come up in my spirit and my soul. I cast that off in the name of Jesus and replace that with your peace, with your joy, Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 says this. And Anna and I live by this every single day of our life. It says this. And don't sin by letting anger control you. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Right? If you have a problem, fix it. My dad loves to fix things. If something breaks down today in the house, I guarantee you he's not going to go to sleep until he tries to fix it. That's just the way he is. Amen? So if you have something broken in your house... I'm just saying, he could fix it. But if it's your marriage, if it's your relationships, fix it. Don't let it slide. Don't let it go on another day, another moment. And that was anger. The fourth one and final one is worry. Everybody say worry. Worry. 
Matthew 6 and verse 27 says the following. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So I'll ask you this in plain English. Has worrying... Everybody ask yourself this question. Has worrying ever changed anything? Say it. No. Okay, now this side. No. Now everybody. No. That's right. And it never will. So why worry? Well, I know it's a natural human response to worry. We worry for our kids. We worry for our parents. We worry for our jobs sometimes. We worry about our vehicles, our home, and responsibilities. But to sit there and just worry and let it just be the only thing in your mind, that never accomplished a thing in the history of mankind. Can I get an amen? amen. See, fear and worry go together. When you worry, you become fearful. When you become fearful, you worry. And God never intended for you and I to live in fear. Never intended for you and I as believers to live in fear. When you live in fear and worry, you start getting depressed. You start getting anxious. All these things, these emotions begin to rise up that shouldn't be functioning in the body, in the mind of a spirit-filled believer. Amen? If you're a worrier, you need to recognize right now that God did not create you that way. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let me read to you what it says in um, Psalms chapter 91. I won't take time to read the whole thing because it, it is a lengthy chapter, but listen to these first few verses. This is God's protection in the midst of danger. Verse 1, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. Verse 4. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Skip down to verse 9. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm, everybody say no harm, no harm, will overtake you. No disaster will come near your house, your tent. Amen? That is God's word to you that during this season, if you battle anxiousness and depression, do not fear. Draw close to Him. Put yourself in Him. Draw, like the song said, leaning back against Him. Feeling His heartbeat. Drinking from His cup, the song says. When you do that, these things go away. Because they're never intended to be yours. Amen? Yeah. Let me read as I close. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, but it says like it goes like this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Yes. Let me read that again. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
Well, how do I do that when I'm battling depression, Pastor Rick? How do I do that when I'm anxious, when I have fear and worry going on in my mind? This is what I always tell everybody. I, I've done this before. I mean, no, I'm, I'm the list guy. I'm the guy that writes lists. So I do this list, and I start from the top this way, and I put, Lord, I'm thankful for life. Lord, I'm thankful that I can walk today. Yes. Lord, I'm thankful that I have a family. Lord, I thank you for my mom and dad. Lord, I thank you for my wife. Lord, I thank you for my daughters and my son. Lord, I'm thank, I thank you for my job. And on and on and on. And if I may have been thinking an anxious thought or a worried thought, it doesn't change my circumstances, but it changes my mindset. See, God doesn't want you living in that mindset of depression because if you're living in fear, you can never accomplish what he has for you in this world. He wants you to let it go, brother. He wants you to live by faith. He wants you to trust him. So remind yourself of all the blessings he's given you in your life. Thank him, thank him for a new kidney. Thank him for, for a new heart. Thank him for a new opportunity, a new job. Amen? Amen. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Proverbs, Proverbs 4 and verse 23, last scripture. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart, guard your heart, protect your heart. Here's your assignment that I want you to deal with this week. Identify any toxic things that are affecting you here in your mind and in your heart. Are they... Are they those things I just mentioned right now? Unforgiveness, comparison, anger, worry. Or, or is it the fear of inadequacy, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of being judged, the fear of something bad happening? Maybe my, I didn't have a loving mom and dad growing up. I didn't have anything growing up. Maybe my extended family was real mean to me. Maybe they physically hurt me, spiritually hurt me, emotionally hurt me. Whatever toxin that is that keeps dragging you down seemingly every time at this time of the year, give it to God. Amen? Stand with me this afternoon as we close. See, as you identify them, God wants you to specifically identify what that is that, that has got a foothold in your life. Bow our heads this afternoon. Lord, we thank you, Father, that we can put all our trust in you. And Lord, even while we do that, I know that these issues don't go away. If there's issues that are causing us to be worried for our children, for our grandchildren, Father, for our job, for the things that you've blessed us with, if there's issues there, by me trusting you, it doesn't make the situation go away. I know that. But Father, what it does do is it reminds me that you're going to walk with me through that process. That you're going to walk with me as I face those issues. That you're going to remind me that I don't walk alone. That I'm not alone. And Father, because of that, I thank you today. Lord, you are a good, good Father. You are a good God. You're one that loves me.
one that loves each person in this place today. We thank you, Father. Thank you for your precious love this afternoon.